Welcome to the One God Report. I'm here with Stephanie and Preston, and today we're going to look at the book of Colossians, chapter 1, focusing in on verses 15 through 19. Maybe we'll look at 20 as well. It's a passage that, for us, I know in the past, as a Trinitarian, I used to interpret this and think that somehow Jesus was involved in the creation of Genesis, and I know that still today Trinitarians think this is a, an important passage for seeing the deity of Jesus, that somehow Paul is saying here in this chapter that Jesus pre-existed the creation of matter, and he was involved in the creation. But I think we can see that there's a better way to understand this passage, and that that interpretation, that Jesus was involved in the creation in Genesis 1, actually conflicts with a lot of other scriptures that uh, are right here in the context of this book and in other places in the Pauline literature and in the Bible in general. For instance, if we look at the, the first couple of sentences in the book of Colossians, Paul is writing, he says, to the saints and faithful brethren in the Messiah in Colossae, grace to you and peace from God, our Father. So he calls God our Father. That's all of God. And then verse 3, he says, We thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus the Messiah, when we pray for you. So he distinguishes between God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus the Messiah right off in this book a couple of times. We'll also note that the book of Colossians is, in a lot of ways, a close parallel to the book of Ephesians. We believe they were written about the same time. Paul was in prison, probably in Rome in about 60 A.D., and the same time that he wrote to the believers in Colossae, in kind of western central Turkey, he wrote to the believers in Ephesus, on the western side of modern Turkey. And the books are very similar. In a lot of ways, they parallel each other. And we can see in the book of Ephesians, where Paul specifically says, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus the Messiah. Very clearly differentiated that God is the God of our Lord Jesus the Messiah. And he says a similar type of thing in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus the Messiah, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom. So there too, God is the God and Father of the Lord Jesus, our Lord Jesus the Messiah. So if we're going to interpret Colossians chapter 1 verses 15 through 18 as Jesus being God, that's a contradiction with what Paul already says in the early part of this book and in the parallel book in Ephesians, and we can see in other places in Paul's letter as well. Let's read verses 15 through 19. Preston, you want to? Yeah. So I'm reading out of the um, English Standard Version. Colossians 1 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Here is what I would say is a main point of this passage. 
is that yes, Jesus is preeminent. He is preeminent not because he is God, but because God has put him in this preeminent position. And we can see that in other places in the New Testament, like in the end of the book of Matthew, where Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And if we had just backed up a little bit here in Colossians, which we probably should have done, but if we look, for instance, at verse 12, it says, giving thanks to the Father, that's God, who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the, in the saints in light. He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So here, Paul says that God the Father has transferred us from the dominion of darkness into light and into the kingdom of his beloved Son. This is, in a sense, Paul is going to be telling us a lot about the new creation, what God has and is doing through Jesus the Messiah, especially because of the resurrection from the dead. Jesus will be called here the firstborn from among the dead ones, we'll see. And he is the beginning of creation. Now, if you're the beginning of creation, and if you're the firstborn from the dead, if you were dead, you're not God. So it's better to understand Colossians 1, 15 through 18 in a new creation aspect. And I think as Trinitarians, we never really understood that. We didn't really think so much about how God has, through Jesus Christ, brought about a renewal of creation, a restoration of creation. The resurrection from the dead is, in fact, a restoration. It's what we hope for. We're longing for a new earth in which righteousness dwells. It's not a earth in which the, the material world is totally annihilated, but it's an earth which is renewed. That's the sense in that it's a new creation. So if we look at this passage with that framework and not with the presupposition that we're talking about the Genesis creation, I think this is much better understood. Verse 15 says that Jesus, he, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Now there is a parallel there, obviously, with Adam, mm -hmm. that Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. Now, if this was talking about the Genesis creation, it wouldn't be right, because the firstborn of creation in the Genesis is Adam. Mm -hmm. But like Adam, Paul says here that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. As a parallel, as a comparison with Adam. And I think we can see in Jesus the ideal Adam. What Adam, maybe we could say, was supposed to be, Jesus is. He's the image of the invisible God. To be the image of God means you're not God. It means you're presenting or representing. You maybe have the shape that God is supposed to have in a sense. You're the image of God. You're not God. Just like Adam was the image of God, but he was not God. Yeah, and Paul definitely compares Adam to Christ, like in Romans 5, talking about through one man sin and death came into the world, and then through one man grace came. He's called the second Adam. 
And so it's clear that there's been a, a renewal of creation. And then also th we get into a lot of authority in this section, 15 to 18. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, it starts off with who is he? He's the firstborn among the creation, the new creation, those created in Christ. And as that, he's been given this incredible amount of authority, which we'll get into as well. Mm. So it sets the stage for not that Christ is God and that he's recreating everything, but that God's purposes are being fulfilled in Christ because mm. he actually had the obedience that Adam didn't have. And now God's able to make people in his image truly as he really wanted from the beginning. Again, if Jesus is the firstborn, he's not God. And... Paul doesn't go into anything about explaining the difference between the deity Jesus and the human Jesus. He's not talking about only one nature of Jesus or something here. This is Jesus, the Messiah, the Son, the Son of God. As he says, we've been transferred into the kingdom of his beloved Son. The Son of God is the firstborn of creation. And this is not the first time that the firstborn idea has been presented in scripture by any stretch of the imagination. Of course, Israel is called God's firstborn son. So that title carries with it certain privileges. The firstborn son would have a double portion of the inheritance. And the king of Israel is called the firstborn son in Psalm chapter 89. Let's just take a look at that. Okay, it's Psalm chapter 89, verses 26 and 27. This is a, a psalm praising God's choice of David and that the descendants of David would be the king over Israel and that a descendant of David would rule on the throne of Israel. And he says of this descendant of David in verse 26, he shall cry to me, you are my father, my God. Sounds similar to what Paul says about Jesus, mm -hmm. that God is the father and God of Jesus the Messiah. So in Psalm 89.26, this descendant of David says, You are my father, my God, the rock of my salvation. And then God says, I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. Now, that's very similar mm -hmm. to that what Paul is going to say Almost exactly here. explains yeah. Colossians 1.15. It does, mm -hmm. yeah. Because when Christ was born, you know, from Mary, he's obviously not the firstborn, mm -hmm. right? Yep. But from among the dead, he is. Yes, absolutely. And, and there's other aspects in which this idea of the Messiah being born are in, in the Tanakh, in the Old Testament. In Psalm chapter 2, he says, I have given you birth. Today I've begotten you. Mm -hmm. Right. So mm -hmm. that the Messiah is born and born of God. That's the reason he can, the Messiah can call him Father. Because Jesus, the descendant of David, and David, they know they have life from God. And that's why the Jewish people knew they could call God Father. Mm. So many other religions, you, I don't think you can find any other religion that says, oh, God is our Father. Okay, Christianity, because Christianity has they've gotten some idea from the biblical faith that God is Father, but they've messed it up. They don't really understand. We can call God Father because we acknowledge that God gives us life. So back in Colossians, when Paul calls him the firstborn of all creation, I think he has in mind what God promised there to the Davidic descendant. And he makes him the highest over the kings of the earth. Any other comments on verse 15? Just about the uh, being, you know, 
obviously the firstborn, the birth process is different, right? Because more of the resurrection implies that you've been born into mm -hmm. the new creation. Yep. It is being born again. The resurrection right. is being born again. Yeah, renewed to life. Yep. And another, one other thing is just, again, let's make the point in the beginning of verse 15. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Mm. How many times does the scripture need to tell us that God is invisible? Mm -hmm. If Jesus is God, that doesn't make sense mm -hmm. because God is invisible. Mm -hmm. He's the image of the invisible God. Let's go on to verse 16. For in him all were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or authorities, all were created through him and for him. Now you notice I read that verse without saying things. Most translations put in the word, for in him all things were created. But that's an interpretation. It's simply the word in Greek, all. And you have to look at the context to determine what all is he talking about. But the context here is quite clear. He's not talking about all of creation. He's not talking about rocks and mountains and birds and fish and animals. He tells us what the all is that he means. He puts it in a frame in a sense. He says, all were created one time, and he'll say it again. All were created. And what's in between those all were created? His list of the things he means. In heaven and on earth, visible or invisible, and here they are. Thrones, dominions, principalities, or authorities. That's what he's talking about here. He's talking about the authority structure that God has set up or is planning not only is he being set up now in Jesus Christ. Remember, Jesus Christ, when Paul is writing, Paul knows that Jesus, is the human being, is at the right hand of God. He says it in Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. If you have been raised with Messiah, seek the things that are above, where Messiah is seated at the right hand of God. Mm -hmm. So Paul knows this is where Messiah is. He's at the right hand of God. So here, Paul is telling us, that through Jesus, and even as a Trinitarian, I could see these prepositions and I couldn't really understand them. And this is another issue with this verse, prepositions. The first one is really in. I noticed, Preston, the translation you read had by. And that is one of the reasons many Trinitarians are confused in this verse. If you translate this as, for by him all things were created, it sounds like Jesus is the one who's doing the creating. But that's not being truthful in the translation of that first preposition. That first preposition is the word in. For in him all were created. And like we said, the all here is the authorities and powers. The other two prepositions are through. All were created through him. And for, even that preposition is a little bit difficult to translate for. It, mostly has the idea of two, perhaps for the sake of. The two verbs in this verse are passive. Somebody else is doing the creating in and through and for Jesus the Messiah. Jesus the Messiah is not doing the creating. These authorities, these thrones and dominions, principalities and powers were created, passive, in Jesus and 
through Jesus and for Jesus. He is not the creator himself. The idea of the new creation fits much better here. And we're talking about the resurrected from the dead Jesus. We're going to get to that in just a second here in this chapter. And that through that resurrected Jesus, who's been made the king over all the kings of the earth, God is setting up the authority structures. The thrones. Remember what he said to the apostles? In the next age, in the regeneration, a very interesting word in the book of Matthew that, Pete, uh, that Jesus used. In the regeneration, in the age to come, in the renewal, you 12 are going to sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Those thrones are set up under the power and the authority of Jesus. Not because Jesus is God, but because God has given him that authority as the firstborn from among the dead ones. Can I read something in uh, sure. Ephesians that Absolutely. goes into this? Yeah. So Ephesians chapter 1, starting in 19, hmm. uh, Paul, Paul writes, And what is the immeasurable greatness of his, God's power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he, God, worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named. And it's very clear that... Oh, wait, go to the next phrase, too. Okay, every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. See, that's new age. It's a new, new creation. New age is a bad term. That's the new creation idea, right? And, and this makes it very clear of who gave Christ this power, who raised him from the dead, right? Jesus mm -hmm. didn't raise himself. Yeah. It says that God did, yeah. who in God is different from Jesus. Mm -hmm. yeah. Jesus is the human son of God. Yeah. And then because he was obedient to the Father, as Paul writes in Romans 5 specifically... He then earned this honor of being above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and God has the ability to give that to him. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, these verses in Ephesians 1, as you read, verses 19 and even a little further through 23, are really parallel to what we're reading in Colossians. And they yes. really inform us what Paul means. Exactly. You can really just look back in Ephesians if you don't you know, understand what he's saying in Colossians. Mm -hmm. Look back in Ephesians, oh yeah, that's what he's talking about. And when you're talking about this creation that we're talking about in Colossians 1.16, it parallels, a, he's creating this new this new order of things because he has now the authority to do that because mm -hmm. God gave him that authority. Yes, and I think too, even in 1.16, we can see that it's actually God doing the creating through Jesus, mm -hmm. right? They're made through him yes, yeah. and for him. And that is setting up the authority structures, mm -hmm. ruling, I believe, already now, but especially as we just read in Ephesians, it, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. Yeah. Okay? Even First Peter 3.22, it's another one. It says, of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers having been made subject to him. Yeah. Yep. And he's really pounding that because remember the context kind of starts in verse 13 where it says he's delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom, kingdom. of his beloved son. Yep, mm -hmm. that's it. And so we're talking about power structures here. Mm -hmm. And we've been delivered to this greater kingdom which has dominion over this kingdom that we were born into just by being a son or daughter of Adam. Mm -hmm. And it's really Daniel 7 too. Daniel 7 verses 13 and 14, right? About the Son of Man coming to the Ancient of Days. And to him was given a dominion and glory and a kingdom.
that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's, it's given to him. People are thrown off by the created. Mm-hmm. I know I was thrown off by the mm-hmm. created. I was too. But we yes. can see here that he's talking not about the creation mm-hmm. of rocks and mm-hmm. planets and animals. He's talking about the creation of the power structure mm-hmm. that's under the authority of Jesus. And it's been put under the authority of Jesus by God. Mm-hmm. So like the head coach in a football team, he sets up the authority that he wants. His coach of the quarterbacks and his coach of defense and offense. Mm-hmm. Jesus, it's all, he's the head of it. And it's through him. He's going to keep it in order. But God has placed that authority in Jesus. Mm-hmm. It's not innately Jesus. First mm-hmm. Corinthians 15 27, 28. Right. God put all things in subjection to Jesus. Mm-hmm. And that's where the idea of the kingdom is so important. That's where the idea, you know, if you, like what's commonly taught, you die and you go to heaven. The verses like these don't really make sense. Mm-hmm. But when you talk about the coming king who will restore the kingdom on earth, yep. all of a sudden this makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. It does. Because we were created to rule. We were in the image of God, created to have authority over the creation of God, which... Christ reclaimed, and that this is what this verse is talking about, that re- restoration of the rightful place of man in God's creation. Yep. And it gives us a hope to be like Jesus. I want to read Romans 8.29 in that connection, where Paul says that we are going to be like Jesus. He says, for those whom God foreknew, he also predestined, to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he, that's Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brethren. Jesus is the firstborn from among the dead. That's what we're hoping for. That's what we're longing for. That's our expectation. To be born again, literally, like Jesus, to have a body that has life in it again. And Jesus is the firstborn from among many brethren. He's our brother. He's not our God. Mm-hmm. God gave life to Jesus. That same power will give life to us. Mm-hmm. And he's our example, and he's our king. Yep. Same as what you could say if there was an honorable human king or, or a like a coach, you know, in the football team example, that you could follow and you followed his orders, you followed what he's... Because his goal was... To was, please God. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, he had a good goal, a yep. good plan in mind. Yep. There is another issue with the deity of Christ interpretation of a passage like Colossians chapter 1. It's somewhat similar to the problem that is created with the deity of Christ interpretation of Philippians chapter 2. If one interprets Philippians chapter 2 as a decision made by a eternally existent God, second person of the Godhead, You're actually robbing Jesus, the Messiah, the human person, of what he did. You're stealing that from him. Well, you're not going to do it. You're trying to. And in that way, now sit down if you're standing up. That is an anti-Messiah interpretation, an anti-Christ interpretation, which is really an anti-God interpretation. And similarly, if one wants to interpret Colossians chapter 1 as describing the second person of Godhead or the deity, that Messiah is deity, you are removing the human Jesus 
from the right hand of God. These passages are related. We looked at a passage in Genesis 1:26 earlier at the creation of man. When God created man, he said, lots of translations say, let man rule over the fish of the sea and all the earth. But that word really can be understood as man will rule over all the earth. Not a God-man, but man. In the plan and purpose and intention of God, man is to be the number two ruler at the right hand of God. Not angels or, now here's, like I say, sit down, to interpret Philippians chapter 2 or Colossians chapter 1 as a deity passage. It's satanic in the sense that Satan is the adversary of mankind who does not want man to rule over all the earth. Who does not want to see man? Yeah, and like the Trinitarians say, a mere man. Who does not want to see man seated, sitting at the right hand of God, ruling over all the earth? Colossians is telling us that God has put a man, the firstborn human being from the dead, at the right hand of God, with all authority put under him by God. Don't take that away from Jesus, the man. You can't. You won't. You're going to have to argue with God about not accepting the man, Messiah, Jesus, that God said, this is my son. This is my Messiah. If you want to interpret Philippians chapter 2 and Colossians chapter 1, it's a sinister interpretation to say that Jesus is God in those passages. Because God says, no, man will rule over all the earth with all authority. That's angels too. Angels are subject to man in the age to come. Now the fact that a man is at the right hand of God, exalted, raised from the dead to the right hand of God, has real practical implications as well, even in the realm of, let's say, psychology. If we understand that our position as a human being, or as human beings, yes, in Jesus Christ, as our representative, the ultimate human being, if we understand that our position, that God intends for us to rule over the earth, that's his plan and purpose for mankind. We're not going to kill ourselves. And we're not going to kill others because we realize that that person has such value that God makes him a ruler over the age to come. So even in a psychological area like suicide and murder, understanding that Jesus Christ is a human being makes a difference. Okay, let's go on to verse 17. It says, He is before all, or all things. I think it's the power and structure again. He is before all, and in him all hold together. Now, this again, this word before all, it's a very interesting word because it can have the idea of being preeminent again, being chief, being the head ruler. Also, it can have the idea of time. And Jesus is before all, and he is the head of, he's the chief of all these authorities and powers. 
But even time-wise, as we'll see coming up very soon here, he's the firstborn from among the dead ones. So in that way, he is before all. He's the firstborn from among the dead. And also this phrase, I think, again, it can kind of have a slant that wants to make Jesus into God. Some translations will say something like, in him all things hold together. As if Jesus is the one who is keeping the universe from flying apart. He's the one that's literally physically keeping all matter in its place. But we can see in the context, it's talking about the authorities and the powers that God has placed under Jesus. He's the one who keeps them all in order. The word here, anybody who's tried to translate from one word to another knows you have a whole range of words that you can choose when you try to translate. But the word has the idea of being to stand up or even to be presented, like you present something, you stand them up. So that's a meaning in which we can understand where Jesus is the one presenting all. He's holding them, all these powers and authorities together. He's the one who's ruling over them mm-hmm. and designating them. He told the 12 apostles, like we said before, you're going to be on 12 thrones. And he's designating these rules and authority. And we see that too, like when he was crucified, you know, his disciples, they kind of like went their own way. Without a leader, everything falls apart. And so mm-hmm. I think part of this is saying that he's our leader. He's what mm-hmm. holds everybody together. Mm-hmm. You know, we look to him for guidance and without him, we're just probably going to go our own way. Yeah. But because of him, it's able to, we're able the, to be united and held together. The like CEO an CEO of a company. I was thinking the exact same thing. A head coach mm-hmm. in the football team. This is basically yeah. just basic leadership. Mm-hmm. And he goes on really to say that in the next verse. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He is the head of the body. Verse 18. He is the head of the body, the church, or the called out ones, ecclesia. He is the beginning, the firstborn from among the dead ones, mm-hmm. that in everything he might be preeminent. Now there, again, we can understand that passage, I think, much better in a new creation context. Mm-hmm. That Jesus is the firstborn from among the dead ones. And this word here, the dead, it's really an adjective and it's plural. The dead ones. He is the firstborn from out from among the dead ones. Everybody else is dead. All of the people that have come on this earth are in the ground. They're dead. Mm-hmm. Jesus is the first one who's been raised to an immortal life by God. The firstborn. And it's That's why we can say as well, or Paul does, he is the beginning. It's the new beginning. Mm -hmm. He's not talking about the beginning in Genesis. And even if you wanted to say that, it doesn't make sense. Because then you're saying that Jesus is some kind of a created being back there in Genesis. right? But no, Jesus is the beginning in the sense that he is the beginning of God's new creation. John says the same kind of thing in the book of Revelation. Mm -hmm. Chapter 3, verse 14. He is the beginning, mm-hmm. the firstborn from the dead. That's the beginning that Jesus, he's the new beginning mm-hmm. that was promised to Israel in the prophets, Isaiah. He is the beginning, the firstborn from among the dead ones. And this idea of new ages is not, it's not like this is the first time that this idea is being presented. I oh, mean, no, yeah. you hear about the age to come in a lot of different mm-hmm. scriptures. Sure. And so those ages need a beginning and Jesus is the mm-hmm. one that initiates that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what a beginning it is. It's that resurrection from the dead. Right. That's when Jesus became, as it says right here, the firstborn from among the dead. Mm-hmm. He wasn't that 
-hmm. back in eternity past somewhere. Mm -hmm. It doesn't make sense to think that Jesus is some eternal second person of the deity and call him the firstborn from the dead. Mm -hmm. That in everything he might be preeminent. And I, as we've mentioned before, that really is a theme here that Paul is saying. The preeminence of Jesus Christ over all rule and authority, not only in this age, but in the age to come. It's been given to him by God the Father. Jesus is the chief, the head. Yeah, and it's so, uh, when you start putting these verses together with other verses in the New mm -hmm. Testament, it just, it really, you get, get a fullness of the plan of God. So in 1 Corinthians 15 again, uh, verse 20, Paul says, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Mm. So everybody else is, they're still sleeping. Mm -hmm. He's the first one to be resurrected. And then the the other resurrection will come. First fruits implies others to come. Exactly. Yeah. And then it says, for as by man came death, that's the age that we're in, mm. but by man has come also the resurrection of the dead. Mm -hmm. What? By a man has come the resurrection from the that's dead? That's what it says. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then I'll just keep reading in verse 22 of 1 Corinthians 15. For as in Adam all die, so as in Christ shall all be made alive. And then it talks later on about um, he'll rule and the last enemy to destroy is death. And so we get this idea of this next age, which is going to be greater than what we have. And Christ is the one that has initiated that next age. Mm -hmm. He's He was raised, so we'll be raised. And really, there's a there's a down payment aspect in who Jesus is, too. Because mm -hmm. this is a big thing for the Jewish people, too. They can say, Jesus can't be Messiah because the new age hasn't come. Meaning the resurrection from the dead mm -hmm. and peace and prosperity and the end of war. But Jesus is the taste of that. He's the first fruits. He's the beginning of it in concrete, actual way. So we can see, yes, that is the beginning. There it is. He is the one who is the beginning of this age to come. That renewal, the resurrection from the dead. Mm -hmm. Well, should we look at verse 19? Yeah, let's touch it. Okay. For in him all the fullness was pleased to dwell. And verse 20, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Some translations have, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. The word God is not in the text here. Not to say that's not in a couple of similar passages where it says that in Jesus the fullness of God was pleased to dwell bodily. In Colossians 2, 8 and 9. But I think it's uh, interesting to see a, a, a parallel to this back there again in the book of Ephesians. Flip for just a second to Ephesians 1 again in verse 23 where we see a very similar phrase, the fullness. Mm -hmm. In 1.23 it says that very similar. Back, even back in uh, 1.22 he has put all things under his feet. That's God has put all things under Jesus' feet. Has made him the head over the congregation, the church, which is his body the fullness of him who fills all in all. So here, the congregation, the body of Christ, is the fullness of God, him who fills all in all. So to have the fullness of God in you doesn't mean that you are God. You can see the same thing in Ephesians 3.19, where that same kind of phrase applies to believers. Ephesians 3.19, And to know the love of Messiah which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Mm -hmm. So the congregation as well has the fullness of God, just like Jesus as the head has the fullness of God. Now what does it mean? 
That's a different question. But it does not mean that you're God, mm -hmm. because the, the church has it as well. Yeah, and uh, I was just looking up other verses, like 1 Corinthians 12, uh, 12, just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ, basically Christ's body. And we know that in God's plan, Christ's body consists of, it's a metaphor for the entire church. In mm -hmm. the fullness of God is going to dwell mm -hmm. in the body of Christ. We're the temple of God, mm -hmm. it says. There, there is a kind of a temple image there. And we're living God stones. Dwelling. Yeah, right, God yeah. dwells in us. Mm. So yeah. all these ideas mean that God can work in us. It's, it's mm -hmm. a metaphor of the greatness of what God's doing in the church. Yeah, and the plans and purposes for God. Mm -hmm. All what God intends for mankind, mm -hmm. they have their fullness in Jesus Christ and in the called out church. I hesitate to use the word church since it doesn't really mean anything, but it's a called out community. The body of believers also has the fullness of God. And it's this new creation where wickedness is not going to be there. Death's not going to be there. Sin's not going to be there. Something that's difficult for us to conceptualize, but God, uh, Paul's using this language, you know, the fullness of God is pleased to dwell in this. Mm -hmm. And that's what God's always wanted. Oh, great. Maybe just to summarize we can see that Jesus has been placed in the position by God, given a name above every other name and above every other authority, and that really the authority structures God creates through Jesus. He gives the authority to Jesus to rule over other kings, over other powers and authorities. I think of John chapter 5, where God the Father gave Jesus the authority to judge. And Paul says, you will be judged by the man, Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. And we know that because God has raised Jesus from the dead, that God has given Jesus the authority to judge. So these things come through Jesus, the new creation power structures, mm -hmm. and life itself comes through Jesus in the age to come. But Paul is not talking about the Genesis creation here in Colossians chapter 1. It, it just doesn't, there's way too much contradiction. Here we have Jesus is the firstborn from the dead ones, mm -hmm. out from the dead ones. This is not a pre-existent uh, second person of the Godhead involved in, in creation in Genesis. Mm -hmm. And one thing I'll say about Colossians 1, 15 to 18, when I came to the understanding that Jesus was not God, this was actually the one verse that held me back the most from really committing to it because I, I didn't quite understand it because of this whole by thing by him created everything was created yeah. yeah yeah I know the feeling this was like probably the second passage that I knew I had to go look at when I first began to see that oh Jesus is the human messiah mm -hmm. right Philippians chapter 2 some verses in the book of John but then Colossians chapter 1 I, I knew I had to go back and see that one I do remember reading and not being able to figure out how could Jesus be the firstborn from the dead this is a stumbling block for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Now we look at it and say, oh, what was I thinking? Mm -hmm. Right now it's like clear mm -hmm. that we're talking about the new creation. Mm -hmm. And for me also was, what are they talking about in this verse? They're talking not about physical mm -hmm. things being created. It's power structures, mm -hmm. which fits with him being the king. Mm -hmm. And then once you get that idea and the kingdom idea down, and the fact that he, again, mm -hmm. a couple of verses before that, delivering us from the dominion of darkness... Transferring us to the kingdom of his beloved son. There's two kingdoms going on here. Mm -hmm. And one's going to be more powerful than the other. And Jesus has the power to overthrow the other kingdom. 
mm. given to him by God. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When you put it into that structure of what is he creating here? What are we really looking at? It's just like a leader creating his new structure for his kingdom. I do also think that part of what Paul is saying here is that now the authority to overcome these other powers is given to the, the congregation. Mm-hmm. Paul knows he has it. He knows that the weapons of his warfare are not flesh, mm-hmm. they're not carnal, they're not swords, but his weapons are the ability to present the truth, to bring down strongholds, powers, mm-hmm. and authorities. So I think this is important even for us now because this is the ability to bring down the dominion of darkness. Mm-hmm. These other authorities are brought down. Yeah. All right, well, we invite you to share the One God Report podcast with others if you think this would be valuable for others to hear. Also, give us a rating in the iTunes rating where, system. Or wherever you listen to the uh, podcast. Yeah. Okay, so a question that we'd like to leave you is, if you're still looking at this from a Trinitarian perspective, then how would Jesus, like in verse 15 of Colossians 1, how would he be the firstborn of all creation? And then later on in verse uh, 18, he is the firstborn from the dead. So how could that be if Jesus is God? 